For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by SocialMediaExaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Pat Flynn. And we're going to explore how to develop super fans who will gladly evangelize anything for you and your business. This is something you're going to want to listen to if you are struggling and spending a lot of money trying to turn people into customers. This is a very economical model that I think is the secret to success from this point moving forward. By the way, want to reach me? Tag me on Instagram at Stelzner or email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a cool free tool to record your screen and your camera at the same time. It's called recordscreen.io. Oh, talk to me about that. All right, so the greatest thing about this one is... There's no software to download. This is web-based. You literally go to recordscreen.io. By the way, disclaimer, go to Chrome. Do it in Chrome, sorry, or in uh, Firefox. It won't work on Safari. I tried it. And you hit record, and you can select either screen and cam or screen only. It'll ask for permission of your camera if you're using it or which screen you want to pull in. So whether it's a certain browser, certain tab on a browser, as well as your permission for your microphone, if you want to speak as you record. And it'll even let you position where you want the circle that kind of looks like the Twitter bubble avatars these days. That's how you're going to show up from your, your video camera. You can position that anywhere. And then you hit start recording and it's recording. That's it, huh? That's it. It's so simple. Like, I can't believe that this didn't already exist. And what's the result? Does it give you a URL, like a bit.ly URL or something like that? So when you're done, when you hit stop, it gives you the option to download video or delete recording. And so it will literally, I hit download and my minute video test of me with audio, my camera and me doing stuff on screen came out to be about three megabytes. Interesting. And then I guess you just plop that in Dropbox and email it off to somebody or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then you just, you know, and, or you can connect it to a, uh, an email. Like if you want to, Hey, hey here's how I did this. Check it out. Da, 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 da. Attach it to an email. They can click play on it in the email and have it play. It sounds a lot like loom. Do you use loom? It does. It does. And is it very similar to loom? It's very similar, but again, no account needed, no extra software needed, no plugins needed. Like Obviously, you, you have record. privacy because it's not living yeah. online, right? 
Right, exactly. Like it's literally recording it locally on your screen, on your hardware, and then downloading it right there, and you're good to go. Now you said there was a delete button. Yeah. Oh, like a cancel, like a. Like oh, a I see. Stop. Got yeah. it. Got it. Got it. Huh. So this is just a very simple piece of code that will essentially capture your camera and your screen and then uh, allow you to download the file when it's done. And then you do whatever you want with the file. That's all there is to it. That's, that's literally it. It's so simple. Does it allow you to decide if you want the whole screen versus a tab or any of that kind of stuff? So it you can pick a tab, you can pick a certain browser, or you can do the whole screen, but you can't like zoom in or out like you could with like, say, ScreenFlow. Got it. Got it. That's a limitation I'm willing to live with. But yeah, but if you're on a computer and you don't have any of that stuff installed, right. you can just go to recordscreen.io wherever you happen to be, even if it's someone else's computer and boom, record a recording, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I could be on a holiday at my parents' house and be like, look, I'm going to record a video then I'm going to leave it right here on the desktop as to how you sign into your Wi-Fi or something simple like that. Very so. cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for that find, Eric. Again, where do we find it? You find it at recordscreen.io. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show. Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. And now for my interview with Pat Flynn. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Pat Flynn. If you don't know who Pat is... He's an active keynote speaker and host of the popular Smart Passive Income podcast. He's also the author of Will It Fly? And his latest book is called Superfans, The Easy Way to Stand Out, Grow Your Tribe, and Build a Successful Business. Pat, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me back, Mike. So today, Pat and I are going to explore how to develop super fans who will gladly evangelize for you. Uh, Pat, first question. Why do we need super fans? Talk to me about that a little bit. You know, we need super fans because it is getting harder and harder to reach the people who have said they wanted to hear from us through the channels that we've built our businesses on. Social media, even email. I mean, I have a YouTube channel with a large following, and yet the algorithms and those kinds of things are getting in the way. But the cool thing about super fans is they will go out of their way to make sure they have you in their life. And when it comes to this ever-changing environment of social media and technology and the businesses that we have, it is the super fans who are always going to be there. They essentially become our insurance policy. We can rely on them because they can rely on us. And the beauty about this is it's more fun. I think that, yes, search engine optimization and all these kinds of strategies, advertising, I mean, that's important. Yes, getting new people to find us is important. But what I feel is more important is that experience that the people have once they find you. Because in return, not only are you going to have return customers, you're not only going to have these amazing testimonials, but those people will evangelize and be ambassadors for your brand. And even without advertising, even without reaching out and finding new people, your super fans will grow your business for you with the most authentic, incredible energy. And I feel it's so important for businesses to think about this now more than ever. Well, and I'm glad you talked about 
you know, the YouTube channel and the algorithms and stuff, stuff, because, you know, so many of us are focused on growing a fan base, but the reality is the algorithms are designed to repress our ability to communicate with that fan base. Right. And this is like an algorithm buster, isn't it? It is an algorithm buster. It is agnostic to any of that stuff. And, uh, we need to start building our own sandboxes now. So why did you decide to write what is your third book? If I'm not mistaken, uh, super fans, what's the, the backstory? Well, I mean, the backstory here is this was a topic that I've always been interested in. I've uh, had an amazing fan base for a very long time now. And a lot of people have been asking me, Pat, how do you get to the point where you can just tweet it that you're going to be at a re- restaurant somewhere and then you have like 20 or 30 people show up who want to hang out with you and, and meet each other and, and get your autograph or take pictures with you or these people who are repeat customers who will buy any of my products even without reading the sales page. People keep asking me, well, how, how do you get to that level? The truth is it doesn't happen overnight. A person doesn't listen to a song and become a fan of that musician or band uh, that moment, right? It takes a lot of care and love for that person and and that experience over time is what leads to this. And so I ended up speaking about this topic on stage uh, back uh, in 2014. And for whatever reason, it just made such a huge impact on people. And people kept saying, oh, you need to talk about that at my event. So I get I got invited to speak about it all over the world, including social media marketing world. And just the response has been incredible. And then I have to give uh, a lot of credit to our good friend, Jay Bear, who came up to me after one of those presentations and said, Pat, the world needs to hear this. And if you do it 200 people, 500 people, 1,000 people at a time on stage, it's not going to have an impact like if you were to write a book. I really recommend you should write a book about this. So I did. And, and big thanks to Jay Bear for uh, encouraging me to do that. Is it an audiobook as well? It is an audiobook as well. And uh, what's really cool is just, you know, I read my own audiobooks. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I'm a podcaster at heart. And uh, one thing I always do in my audiobooks is I kind of go off the script a little bit too, which, which is pretty fun. I've never had a chance to actually read my own books. Unfortunately, I've had them, you know, the publisher hire a voice that I don't think is nearly as good as mine. So that must have been a really cool experience. It, it's fun. All right. So um, let's start with the fundamentals. Uh, Define what a super fan is. So a super fan is, and this, I got to give a lot of credit to Kevin Kelly, the author of this article that was really uh, important in my journey as an entrepreneur and a business owner, and one that's been uh, read and and shared throughout the world. And it's called A Thousand True Fans. And my definition of a super fan is, is pretty much the same as his as a true fan. And that is somebody who is so in love with you and what you do and your art, your creative, your music, your brand, your product, whatever it is, that they will go out of their way to make sure that you not only are going to continue to be there, but that everybody else knows about you too. And he compares it to, you know, if you're a musician, for example, these are the people, the super fans of your your work are the people who not only buy the albums and who have the posters on their wall, but they're the people who would drive eight to 10 hours to go see your set somewhere and then wait afterwards to hopefully see you come out of the back of the venue and take a picture with you. Like that's a super fan. A super fan in the in the business world is somebody who not only knows your products, not only knows more than some of the employees know about your product, but they go in depth and also would even stand in line and wait overnight to get that product, the next product that comes out. You know, you see this in the Apple world and a lot of other kinds of products uh, who have people camping out of their store because they know a new product is coming and they want to be the first. They want to be the first to get their hands on it. That's a super fan. All right. Uh, uh, just a little side story. My wife camped out overnight to get the princess beanie baby way back in the day. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That's so, crazy. so she was a super fan of beanie babies, I guess, rather than a person. But I guess what we're saying, this is a tiny little group, right? I mean, cause this is not like, like you're not going to have millions. You might not even have thousands. This just might be hundreds, right? 
It just might be a few dozen. And the cool thing is when you build for those kinds of people in your audience and that experience that you're offering as a byproduct, even the people who are not super, super, super fans are still going to be ambassadors, are still going to say nice things, and are still going to help encourage others to come in as as well. And I mean, in my industry, I mean, I came from the architecture world and my first business was a website to help people pass an architectural exam. It was it's super dry and most people, you know, wouldn't think that you could have fans by helping people pass an exam. But I did my first fan. I remember because I got this email and this inspired the first few stories in the book that I tell uh, a woman named Jackie emailed me and she said, Pat, I finally was able to pass this exam. It took me over a year. I found your stuff and it helped me. Thank you so much. Can I take you out to dinner? And I was like, no, I don't know who you are. No. But at the end of this email, she also said, Pat, I'm a huge fan. Thank you. And I couldn't like fathom how a person can be a fan of somebody who helped you pass an exam. Right. Uh, Usually we're fans of athletes, musicians, uh, rock stars, actresses, actors, et cetera. But what ended up happening, because I kind of just put that comment aside, I didn't really understand. But then a couple months later, I checked my customer list and I saw that there were 25 to 30 new customers coming from the same exact company that she worked for. And I eventually found out through a conversation with her that she had convinced every single person in her firm, including her boss, to go and individually buy my same study guide that she used as well. The funny thing is this was just an ebook. She could have literally just sent it to all of them for free. But she, as a super fan, Somebody who actually got a really good experience with me helping her wanted to make sure I got paid back in return. So you don't need a lot of people to have an amazing and an incredible sort of foundation for the experiences that people have in your brand and and what they can do for you. And Kevin Kelly, his his article was called A Thousand True Fans. Like you just need a thousand. Why a thousand? Because if you just think about it, you have a thousand of those true fans, super fans, and hypothetically they were to pay you. $100 a year, just $100 a year for whatever it is your creative is, your art, your service, your coaching, your products, whatever. And many people I know spend way more than that per month on the thing they love. I spent well over five figures on Back to the Future stuff, for example, which is the thing that I'm I'm a big fan of. I'm I'm sure a lot of people who are fans of Beanie Babies, for example, spend quite a bit of money on those kinds of things. So $100 is is pretty minimal. So $100 a year times 1,000, I mean, there's six figures right there. And when you consider that these are not just people who are going to continue to be customers over time, but they're also going to bring new people into your business can grow exponentially. And quite honestly, it's so much more fun doing this. But you're right. It's it's a smaller percentage of your overall user base and, and, and engagement level. What I love about this is super fans are often evangelists is what I'm hearing you say. And the ripple effect of a single super fan is far greater than just the money that that super fan has invested in you. Because in the case you you mentioned, that one super fan ended up 25xing, right? Her actual uh, value to you by evangelizing those other people inside of the firm she worked for, right? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And the idea here that if you invest in nurturing and building up super fans, and we're going to talk about how to do that today, but if you invest in creating and nurturing super fans Imagine the scale capability versus just spending money with Facebook, right? Or just spending money with Google because the amount of money that it takes to build a super fan and nurture them up is inconsequential compared to the amount of money you're probably going to invest with Facebook. Am I right? You're exactly right. And the thing you're investing here is a little bit of time and care into the people who are in your brand. Yes, search engine optimization, paying for ads to find new people. That That's important. Like that's step one. But oftentimes businesses, that's that's their whole business model. And that's where the competition 
once they spend more time caring about somebody is going to outrule you. So yes, finding new people is important, but it's those experiences, those magical moments that I like to say in your brand that get people to not just stay there, but to share it, to bring new people in and to really create what's, what I like. To, I keep saying this. This is the insurance policy for your business, no matter what happens in the in the social media space. Okay. We're going to get into a model here in just a second, but I want to ask this question first. How do we know? Because a lot of people don't, hadn't even heard of the concept of a super fan until this moment. How do we know when we see one? Because you start to see your customers engage with you on a much higher level more often. And the reason why I think a lot of business, like you're probably listening to this right now and you're like, oh yeah, this this totally makes sense. Like let's build for those amazing experiences in our brand. And we know this, like this is what makes a great company. But the hard part about this is it's not necessarily measurable, right? It's not necessarily a specific dollar amount that a person spends, therefore they become a super fan. A super fan may never actually spend money with you, which is the other thing but they could turn into a lot of money from the evangelism that they have and the support that they have for your brand. Some super fans, I mean, I know, I know a lot of my fans step up when there's like a hater or a troll that comes by who tries to say some stuff about me or my brand or whatever. I mean, they're there on the front lines defending me before I even know those trolls exist. I mean, there's so many more elements beyond just the ROI and the money that's coming back as a result of creating uh, these fans. But generally, it's it's a sense of just you get to know your people over time and some of those people you get to see over and over again. So there's there's higher engagement levels. Oftentimes it does mean that you're starting to see these people spend more money with you. I mean, if you have a suite of products, a good indicator is this person has purchased every single product, right? That's a good indicator that, okay, this is somebody who is at a higher level than much of your audience who have just found you, your casual audience, like I like to say, and that's where you can start to engage them a little bit more. It's hard to measure, which is why I think most people sort of stray away from it because these other things like advertising, search engine optimization, you either know it's working or it's not, and there's dollars behind it too. Yeah. And you know, everybody listening is probably a super fan of someone or some brand. And you just ask yourself, what do you do? Right. You probably listen to every single episode of their podcast or you watch every video that they publish on YouTube, even if it's boring, <laughs> you know, right, right. You know? Or and you just may, or you tell all your friends about it, but the brand might not even know who you are. Right. Those are the indicators I would imagine of someone who is not super fan. Well, let's, let's talk about your model because you got this cool little model. You call it the pyramid of fandom. Like what is that? Let's talk it out. So if you imagine all the people that ever come across your brand, you can lump them all together. But I like to create a little hierarchy here because there's different levels of engagement. And the biggest at the base of this pyramid is your casual audience. These are the people who are finding you through those ads, who are finding you through search engine optimization, a link on another site or a mention or a share on social media. They don't know who you are yet, but for whatever reason, they've gotten interested in an answer that you have on a blog post or a podcast episode title or whatever. This is your largest user base and where most people are spending their money to grow. Above that, and our goal is to then convert people from the casual audience member to then the active audience member, the active subscriber. These people have taken some sort of action to, to basically vote and say, oh, I, you know, I like this person. I like what they have to say. I like their products. Um, I'm going to sort, sort of just start to pay attention a little bit more. They're active. So these are your email subscribers. These are your uh, followers or fans on certain social media channels. People have said, yes, I want more, but I'm not you know, going to buy everything. Then above that, a little bit smaller in the pyramid is your connected community. Yes, you may have subscribers, but it's the connected community, which is actually where the magic starts to happen. Because this is not only you talking to your people. It's not just your people talking to you. 
But it's your when your people start talking to each other, when they feel like there's a sense of belonging, something that they're there for, that they can expect not just from you, but from other people like them too. And we as human beings, we just want to be with people who get us. And when you as the leader of this brand, you can facilitate these group opportunities, these community connections, really incredible things happen. People start to feel an identity. This is where you start to get like, you know, like fans of Star Trek are known as Trekkies, fans of Taylor Swift are known as Swifties. Like they're not just fans of that person or, or movie or, or show. They love when they find another person just like them. And that just elevates the brand even further. And then the little one at the top, the little section, the smallest, like we talked about, are the super fans. Now, what's really interesting about this model is if I were to ask you, where is the highest engagement? Where are your best most repeating customers coming from? Where are the people spending the most money with you and the most time? They're at the smallest portion, right? At the top, at the super fan level. But then if you were to sort of put position that next to, okay, well, where are you spending most of your time? Where are you spending most of your money in your brand? Usually it's at the very bottom and we, we, we sort of grow it from the bottom up. But I think the reason is because if you were to flip this pyramid upside down, what does it look like now? It looks like an upside down triangle or like you said, a funnel. Yeah. The funnels are great. You need a funnel. It's automated. It's it's beauty because you can go from here and certain percentage of, the, of those of that traffic turns into a subscriber, certain percentage of them turns into a customer, certain percent, you know, et cetera. But the problem with a funnel is we expect it to work like a real life funnel where literally the, you just pour water on the top and then and gravity does the work. Right, right, right. right. But the thing is, it's the pyramid. You got to climb it. There's gravity working against you. It takes extra work. It takes extra care and time to have those moments that bring and elevate those people up where all that activity is happening. And that's where the big sort of juxtaposition is between traditional marketing models and what I'm trying to teach here and trying to plant my flag for. And I honestly feel like this is the way that businesses are going. We've seen it in social media. A lot of things are becoming privatized, like you've talked about in some of your opt-ed pieces and such which I think is so important. And this super fans idea correlates to exactly where I feel businesses should be paying attention to now, if not already. I love it. I mean, I've seen you, you know, teach on this and stuff, but I'm connecting at a different level now because I'm just really visualizing it. So, okay. So let's draw a virtual picture in our brains because everybody's listening. They can't see the pyramid. What chunk of the pyramid is the casual? Are we talking like more than half? It's more than half because that's the largest chunk, right? So this is the bottom part of your pyramid, the, the base. Right. Okay. So if it's more than half, like how big of a chunk is the active part? Uh, it's probably going to be about 30%. So it's, is it like half of the remaining top of the pyramid? Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit more than that. You have more subscribers than you have people who are members of your community who would, you know, go to an event that you put on, for example. And then there's right. a certain percentage of them, maybe the top 5% who are going to be those super fans. Got it. And so so this is a pie chart, then 5% would be the super fans, right? And just out of curiosity, I mean, I know, I know I'm changing the shape on you, forgive me, but the connected community, what are we talking? How big is that? Is that like 10% or is that? We're, we're talking 15 to 20% for that. Okay. So 15 to 20% plus another 5%. So about at best, 25% of the pie is going to be at the connected community level or higher. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. I mean, generally speaking, and it could be even less. Got it. So what I would love to do is just reiterate these different levels. So at the casual level, this is the people that watch your videos on YouTube. This is the people that listen to your podcast. This is the people that visit your website. Am I right? Yes. They're casually listening. And when, when something comes up, like, sure, they might listen to it, but they don't think about you randomly. There's nothing that triggers them during the day outside of that content to think about you and come back. 
they're there because they have a question and you have an answer. Right. So they might have just come in from search and never come back again kind of a thing, right? That's and, right. And then the active, are these the people that hit the subscribe button on my podcast and hit the subscribe button on YouTube and or put their email address in? They are, yes. And so they know you, they like you, and they want more. But again, they're not at that level yet where they are going to take a little bit of extra time and care to put forth more effort to be a part of, of something, a, a community. Uh, these people may or may not be customers either. And then the connected community, just out of curiosity, how long typically have they been in your tribe, if you will, in that active community before they become part of the connected community in your experience? Yeah, this is a common question, like how long does this process take? And the truth is it doesn't happen overnight, but it can be sped up. And it kind of depends on your business model, depends on those moments that you create for people. And, you know, for me, for example, I uh, was quick to fall in love with the movie Back to the Future because there were some cool things in it. And then a lot of things that were very personal to me in my life that kind of sped up that process. Uh, whereas I know there are people who were in my brand and following me on Smart Passive Income for years, and it took them quite some time before certain personal things happened in their life where I was able to make an impact to jump them up to the level of, of super fan status. But what I love is you can immediately, like within 15 minutes after a person finds you, you can convert a person from a casual audience member to an active audience member. And there are some things that might take a couple of weeks for you to then convert an active audience member to become a part of your community. So it does take more time and, and care, but uh, the, the bottom of the pyramid is where a lot of action can happen and it, it can happen fast. A lot of missed opportunities for brands that just aren't paying attention right now. Yeah. And, and, and what I want to do in just a few minutes is talk through tips to move people from each level of the pyramid and, and we'll cool. dig in on this stuff. But, you know, obviously if somebody's focused on like search engine optimization, you know, that's the desire to capture more search traffic and just grow a larger you know, casual audience, same thing with Facebook ads, right? Like you're targeting an audience, trying to draw them in. And really this is what so many marketers are focused on. And what I love about what you said is like, it's kind of easy to bring in an audience that's casual. The harder part is to get them to move up the pyramid. So let's, let's talk about like, how do we move more of the casual audience into the active audience? Yeah, I'm going to tell you a quick story. There's a number of different strategies I talk about in the book about how to do this. So we're, again, at the bottom of the pyramid, casual audience. How do we activate them? How do we, as I like to say, trigger them to go, wow, okay, this person has value. I like what they say. I want to, I want to subscribe. I want to do any of this stuff. So two important things I want to talk about. Number one is understanding the lyrics that your audience will respond to. Again, the lyrics, this is just the words that you say. What you say is so important because you might have the best solution in the world, you might have the best product in the world. But unless you can speak the language that your audience is going to resonate with, the lyrics, you might as well not have a product at all. And the story I tell in the book is about my wife, who is a huge Backstreet Boys fan. And somehow we ended up marrying each other because I'm an NSYNC fan. So anyway, um, anyway, she was talking about the first moment that uh, she was triggered by that group because back in the uh, late 90s, you know, there was no Spotify. There was no Apple Music or anything like that. There was just the radio. And she remembered hearing a song many times before, but never really paying attention to it. But what got her to pay attention to that group was what was happening in her life at that time in a, spe in a specific moment of her life. She'd just broken up with a boyfriend and was pretty down in the dumps. And she heard a song that she had, like I said, heard many times before. It's called Quit Playing Games With My Heart by the Backstreet Boys. But she remembered that moment because every single word in, in that song 
was dealing exactly with what she was going through in her life at that time. And she just couldn't believe how much like this group who, yes, they wrote a song and they didn't know who she was, but they just seemed to know her and her situation. And that was her activation moment. She immediately went out and bought an album. And then later on, fast forward a few months, she went to a concert and then fast forward several years later, I discovered there's this box in her closet with literally bobbleheads and framed pictures of the boys. Like it's kind of got me a little concerned, but her fandom for this group is 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 truthful, and it started with that. And so there's there's a guy named Jay Abraham, old school marketer. Many of you might have heard of him before. He says that if you can define the problem better than your target customer, they will automatically assume you have the solution. There's so much importance in what you say. And if you want to go back to that Backstreet Boys example, like think about it. Their target audience at the time was girls between 13 and 18, right? So okay, what happens to girls? of that age. They fall in love. They fall out of love. Okay, let's write a song about it. What words do we use? We speak the same language they do. An adult would never say, hey, babe, quit playing games with my heart, right? And a, and a little kid would never say that, but teenagers say that. So they used that in their song. And of course, it became a number one seller, uh, billboard top, top of the billboards. And so in our business, we have to consider, are we using the right language? Because if you do, you don't have to sell very hard. You are just choosing the words that are coming out of their minds already. You need to get to the point where somebody somebody's reading your sales page or they're reading your tweets or they're on your website or they're seeing your Instagram photos all in one swoop and they're nodding their heads going, this is the person I've been looking for. That's the effect you need. And that's one of the many trigger moments that you can have. Just using the right words can, can mean so much. Yeah. The, and if I can just like wax poetic with you for a second. I think yeah, yeah. this is where getting someone who is a copywriter or someone who's, you know, really intimately familiar with the customer base, like maybe existing customers and interviewing them and grabbing some of the language that they use over and over again and using their language back to them is very powerful, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I would recommend that. I talk about in the book, the best way to understand and do that research is to literally have conversations with people and just keep track and pay attention to how they say what they say, asking questions like, what are your biggest struggles right now? And just listening to what they say and how they say it. What's your number one biggest challenge related to blank? Just listen and then just literally all you have to do is regurgitate that same language back to your target audience and they're gonna resonate with you. I did this with my, my other book, Will It Fly? Will It Fly is the title, but the subtitle is Will It Fly? How to test your next business idea so you don't waste your time and money. That last part, so you don't waste your time and money was not my idea. That was through the conversations I had with my audience about what their biggest fears were. I'm scared of my idea not working. I'm scared of wasting my time. I'm scared of wasting my money. So I just gave it back to them in the subtitle. And that self-published book became a Wall Street Journal bestseller because they knew it was for them. Perfect. So the key is to know who and what their lyrics are. So that that will move them out of the casual stage up to the active stage, right? Yes, exactly. And one more uh, tip for that particular level is a quick win. Offer a small, quick win. If you've ever played a video game, you know that they got this down pat. Level one is always the easiest. It lets you move up to level two super quickly with new abilities earned, with coins flashing, but uh, flashing colors and, and nice noises. You know, video games do this very well and they hook people in and then later on you realize you've been up for 48 hours playing Angry Birds or whatever. Right. But you can do the same thing with people. And, and, and the example I like to use is back when I was in architecture, I was a huge personal finance blog nerd. I read all of them. I was subscribed to all their RSS feeds back when RSS feeds were like to how you followed things, right? And there was one blog in particular I was not really a huge fan of simply because the name was a little off-putting to me. And that was, I will teach you to be rich 
by a guy named Ramit Sethi, who, who I believe you know, Michael. And uh, I was kind of put off, and I didn't really read his stuff until I came across one of his articles, which was literally – it was titled something like, Call Your Cable Company, Save 25% in 15 Minutes. And, uh, using this script. And I was like, really? So I was at lunch at Architecture. This was before I even became an uh, entrepreneur. And uh, I called my cable company at lunch. I just read the script that Ramit put on his page to read to my cable company. And in 10 minutes, I was able to save 25% on my cable bill a month. And that to me was like hundreds of dollars over time that he just saved me in 15 minutes. And it was at that point, I was like just diving into all of his content because he gave me a small, quick win. Consider that against what most of the other people in the personal finance space were doing. Hey, you know, don't drink that latte. Put $25 a month into your savings account or your, and, and then when you're 65 years old, then you can enjoy that win. Right. Right. Ramit gave me an immediate win and that immediately had me diving into his stuff. And I would imagine you can accomplish this in email through an autoresponder series. You can accomplish it in your videos. You can accomplish it in all sorts of things, right? Absolutely. Every single place. And you have to consider... Number one, where are people entering in to your brand from? And then how soon can you get them to a quick win? Yes, I know a lot of us want to have these big purchases and, tra and transactions. A lot of us want to change the lives of our audience and our customers. But if you want to change somebody's life, start by changing their day first. Start small. You can go bigger. There's a lot of literature and, and, and studies that have been done about small, quick wins. Charles Duhigg, who wrote the book, The Power of Habit, has an entire chapter about small, quick wins. And that what, what that does is psychologically, it makes a person get a, a nice little reward from you that was done quickly. And the reason this is key is because everything happens so fast nowadays. And the quicker you can get to a win, the quicker you're going to trigger a person to stop leaving and start paying attention versus not getting anything from you right away and moving on to somebody else. But then they come back for more rewards and they start saying yes to bigger things and they start to do more and take more action and get bigger results. And then they can sort of move up to uh, a subscriber and become a part of the community from there. Excellent. Let's, let's move up, you know, let's ratchet up to level two. Uh, okay. Add cool musical background sound. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just finished level one. Now we're on level two active, right? So we've got them subscribed. How do we move them from active to connected community? Talk to us. Just because they're there doesn't mean they're going to participate, right? You need to get people to participate, get them involved. As I say in the book, if you can get people involved, you can get them to invest. And that's the key here. This is very similar to like when I was in high school, right, Mike? I don't know if you know this about me, but I wasn't even five feet tall my senior year of high school. I was a shrimp. I was the shortest kid in school. I was always at the front of the class pictures. Unfortunately, I had a lot of tall friends who loved to play basketball and they were nice. They wanted me to play basketball with them at lunch and after school before band practice and all this stuff. Yes, I was in the marching band. But the thing is, they would never pass me the ball. I was always last picked. And even though I was on the court, I never felt like I was playing. And because of that, I never really felt like I was I was a part of something. And so when they all went to go to some basketball tournament, uh, which I wasn't going to play, uh, I didn't I didn't really care. I didn't feel like a part of the team. And this happens so many times in our brand. Yes, we finally got that email subscriber, but then we don't consider, okay, now how can we get them involved? How can we pass them the ball every once in a while such that they'll feel like they're a part of something? And there's a lot of like little things that you can do to get people from active to being uh, feeling like they're a part of the community. One of my favorite things to do is, is to open up your business a little bit and even allow your, your people to get involved with where your brand is going. So even a little bit of participation gets, and, and a little bit of just allowing them to speak up and be heard a little bit goes a very, very long way. And a lot of people do this even on micro levels. I remember our good friend Amy Porterfield, 
she once uh, on her Facebook page back when Facebook pages were a thing, she had posted like four different versions of some graphic that she was going to use in her email newsletter. And she was just literally like, hey, guys, I need a little font help today. Which one of these four letterheads from my email do you like best? Let me know in the comments section below. Amy Porterfield, one of the smartest marketers I know, probably doesn't actually need a little bit of, quote, font help. But she's super smart. What she did was that she just got people to participate and, and vote and feel like they're a part of a decision. And of course, yes, they're going to be interested in what that final outcome is. But number two, what you're doing here on social is you're you're helping yourself in terms of algorithms and engagement, which is cool. And and it's always fun to do things like that. So that's like a little micro example. Actually, I have to credit you, Michael, that uh, you are in, in, in the new book along with one of your guests from way back in the day. Uh, Steve Spangler, who was on your show and actually referenced a particular podcast episode that where you had him on, because I remember he was this really made an impact on me and I, I used it in my business, too, and it worked. He uh, had talked about when he started his YouTube channel, he would do these science experiments and he would just kind of do the science experiment on YouTube and then share how the science worked. And there was like little engagement that like comments were just like first or, you know, hey, cool. Or, you know, just there wasn't much engagement at all. And he said that he switched it up. He ended up doing the experiment and then asking his audience, hey, you tell me what happened here. Yeah, what exactly. It, or what was the secret chemical that I used to cause that reaction? What do you think? Right. Or something well, like that. Right. And he said the comments exploded so much that YouTube actually started to pay attention and actually rewarded him with with some some award or something or gave him access to something that he wouldn't have gone at, gotten access to before. Other companies like Lego. Lego does this, gets their audience involved, gets kind of crowdsourcing in some sort of way. I mean, their, their, their CEO said, you know, we have a thousand designers on our team, but there's probably a hundred thousand designers out there that could potentially help with where this brand wants to go. We love to make our fans feel like they're a part of the process. So if you go to, uh, I think it's ideas.lego.com, or if you just look up Lego ideas on Google, anybody, you or I, Michael, or anybody listening to this can create our own Lego creation of anything. And we could submit it to Lego ideas. And if the community votes up that particular Lego build, Lego will actually manufacture that product with your name on it, and they'll give you some royalties too. So they're able to, to mobilize their community to create new products for them, which is really amazing. And, and actually, product number four that was done through Lego Ideas was actually a DeLorean from Back to the Future, which, of course, I got a couple of those because of that. But uh, it just makes the community feel like they're a part of something, which is, which is really amazing. And I think a lot of brands sort of like stand on the mountaintop and say, no, like we're so secretive and closed off and, you know, you got to listen to us versus what I think brands should do is get into the crowd and just go, hey, guys, what like how do you think things are going? What should we do next? How, how might we get you involved in this? And that can add so much to making people feel like they're a part of something as well. And then last the last strategy here is what I talked about earlier in terms of the magic of community is, is when your community members begin to meet each other. And you can do this online or offline, but creating little gigs or events or meetups where people can find each other is so key. I remember I uh, went to speak at an event in St. Louis once, and I often do this. I'll run out a restaurant or something, and my fans and, and, and my audience will come in. And uh, it's cool because it's, it's not formal. We just have meals together and chat, and everybody gets to meet each other. And I remember at the end of the night, there was one woman who I had forgotten to say hi to, and I felt bad because I want to be there and say hi to everybody. And so I go, hey, you know, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to talk. If you want to talk later on, we could do that at the event. And she's like, Pat, 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 don't take any offense to this, but I didn't come here to see you. And I, and she, and I was like, whoa, okay, okay. But but she was like, no, Pat, trust me. I love you. I love your stuff. I love your podcast. But I never get a chance to find people who are just like me. And finally, you, like I was able to do that here. And thank you so much for doing that. 
And, you know, I could hear your stuff anywhere, but never do I get a chance to meet people like me. And, and I finally got that today. Thank you. And I was like, oh, okay. That, she turned that around. That, that was like a whirlwind of emotions all in a few seconds there. But um, it just shows you the power of when you bring your community together, it heightens the brand. And the cool thing is about those events, like I, I don't have to talk to everybody. They talk to themselves and it just elevates the brand. Too. Well, I don't know if you remember, Pat, but do you remember you and Cliff doing a meetup? In Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah, yeah. We had like 150 people come out. People started crashing. I was one of the attendees at that event and I got to sit at a table with Lou Mangello and really get to know Lou as a result of you and Cliff deciding to do a meetup at a conference. It's not around anymore, but you know, it's pretty powerful. I huh? I didn't know that's where you met Lou. Well, I, I had previously him. met Lou, but I really didn't bond with him until we sat down and had like I don't know what it was, grilled cheese together, <laughs> you know, because that, yeah. was, that was what you guys had decided to, to bring out, which is a bunch of grilled cheese sandwiches. So there really is something to just having a meetup. I mean, like the crazy stories, like the very first time I ever met uh, Lewis House was back in 2009 and he crashed a dinner <laughs> that I had with Daryl, uh, I mean, Dar Darren Rouse and and uh, Chris Garrett and Denise Wakeman and Mari Smith and a couple other people. Amy was there. Back in that day, she was a uh, contractor for me. And uh, all these people that were there went on to do amazing things. And Lewis was this guy that crashed. Like, he wasn't really invited. But I've since gone on to become really good friends with, with him. And yeah. it's like, you know, the power of connecting people together in person, even if it's free or over a meal, it's huge, isn't it? It's absolutely huge. And going back to Lego, Lego does this and they encourage it. If you, Mike, do you know what an AFOL is? A-F-O-L? No, I have, have you no heard idea. of that term? I have no idea. People who are AFOLs find other AFOLs. It almost sounds like a bad word. It sounds really bad. <laughs> <laughs> an AFOL is an adult fan of Lego. And oh, if you cool. go to, for example, meetup.com or just type AFOL meetup in Google, you're going to find hundreds or thousands of meetups of these adult fans of Lego who all want to hang out and meet with each other and they build things and they create daily competitions. Cool. Yeah. Right. Because like, okay, there's lots of fans of Lego. A lot of them are architects, right. Or artists, right. Are, they're artists, dude. There's some people who uh, Lego is even recruited to come on their team because they're so talented with these builds, but it just shows you like even big companies like that, corporations are paying attention to the individuals and allowing for them to meet each other uh, because they know that it, that just helps the brand. Excellent. And I would imagine, okay, so we, we've talked about how to move someone from casual to active, right? Which is moving from level one to level two. We've mm -hmm. talked about how to move from level two to level three, which is active to connected community by enabling these things that get people talking to each other. How do we move people from that connected community to the super fan? Right. And this is where a lot of people who are so close to getting it right kind of fail. They have a community but there's a few other things you can do to sort of nudge people into that place where they're going to be a super fan, a super ambassador and, and, and super love everything you do. Um, naturally, some people in the community, because there's just, you know, over time, they're going to become super fans. But there's some things you can do. One, one of my favorite things that I think we can all take away and do actually even right after this call is you can use tools that we already have access to to give just even a smidgen of personal time and attention to somebody. And no, this isn't 100 percent scalable. But it's 100% something that works. And what I mean is you all have access to Instagram direct message, Twitter direct message, or uh, there are tools that allow you to do th these kinds of things too. But what I mean is sending a quick personal video. Messenger. Ima you can use Messenger too, right? You, you can use Messenger. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine somebody buys one of your products. 
why aren't we just taking 15 seconds to shoot a quick personalized thank you video for that person? The key with this strategy is it is an unexpected surprise, an unexpected surprise. Everybody expects to get a thank you email after you purchase something, but a thank you video, that blows people away and that helps them realize, number one, that they've spent their money in the right place. Number two, that there's an actual person that they can connect to on the other end and humans wanna connect with other humans. And number three, nobody's doing this even though we all have the ability to do this. And there's even bigger tools that can help you with the automation and scalability of this, like Bonjoro, which is which is my favorite. I know uh, some people have come on the show before to talk about BombBomb, which is very similar. Yeah. But with, with Bonjoro, if somebody purchases one of my products, for example, I get a notification on my phone. I swipe, it puts up a recording video screen on my phone, and I can just literally say, hey, John, thank you for purchasing my podcasting course today. I appreciate you so much. If you have any questions, let me know. Eight seconds of time. But... I get a 75% reply rate to those videos of people who are just blown away. Like, I can't believe you took the time. But it's just that little bit of personal care to make sure you're okay. It's just like at a restaurant, right? If you're at a restaurant and let's say you have one experience where you're there and it just takes a long time for the waiter to get to you. The water's empty and you're just kind of looking around. Where are they? A lot of brands online are making people feel like that when they're when they're waiting for something. Number two there's that experience at the restaurant where you are finished with your meal or you are out of water. You look up and the waiter's right there. He's ready and he comes over right when you ask, right? And that's kind of cool too because you had asked for it, but they're there and, and, and you can get that water refilled and get your check. But then there's the third level of experience, which is like, okay, your water is almost empty. And without you even asking, they come by and they give you a full, a full glass of water. But not only that, they also give you a little mouge bouge, I think they're called, right? Which is like a little thing in a spoon that use your palate or, you know, I don't even know if I'm using the right term, but it's like a surprise. Like, and, and that, those are the kinds of experiences that like five yeah, it's star. It's like Michigan. when you go to a brewery and they bring out free samples for next time you come, right? It's a similar kind of thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, it doesn't have to be huge. You don't even have to spend money. It's just a little bit of extra care to say, Hey, we want to give you something that you, that was unexpected. And this can happen online. This can happen offline. It just takes a little bit of time and attention. And in the book, I gave a, a number of different examples of, of ways that you can do that online and offline. But those are the little experiences that then people share with each other. And when their friend goes, hey, who do you think I should go to for X, Y, and Z? Like they're going to go to the person who gave them those magical moments and, and those little experiences. They don't have to be huge. They just have to be unexpected surprises. So what I'm hearing you say is figure out a way to exceed expectations with those super fans because they are the smallest group, right? And if you can exceed their, and we've heard from people that they love the fact that we put toothbrush and mouthwash and, and stuff like that in the bathrooms at social media marketing world. Like it's a small thing, right? But for them, it's a big thing. They don't have to go back to the hotel to freshen up. And I think that's one of those kind of examples. Maybe it's not. No, I mean, it is. I mean, that, to me, that's one of those examples that gets a casual audience member to become an active audience member. Good it is point. a surprising thing, but it's unexpected. It's a trigger that makes you stand out, your event stand out versus other events that they've been to. Now the uh, the Bonjoro thing we've used BombBomb and we in our society we used to have we had a member on our team who looked up every member and looked up something personal about them and recorded a personal sixty second thank you video, including some details about them after they've joined the society and people were absolutely blown away and in the case of BombBomb and I'm sure Bonjoro is the same they get a little animated GIF you know inside the email which kind of shows their name and. And uh, then they click on it and they watch the video. It, these these things work. Absolutely, they work. Do we need to keep doing these things to keep the super fans super fans? Or do you feel like once they've gotten to that level, 
out of the connected community into the super fan level. There's not a lot we need to do to maintain that. Well, once they're there, you have a little bit of extra flexibility in terms of, you know, you don't have to continually offer those kinds of experiences. They're there, they remember them, and they will make those experiences happen even without you having to do anything because they're involved in the community. But you can be a fan of something and then that brand can change and then you're no longer a fan because they've come to expect a certain thing from you. And and so there's a there's a chapter at the end of the book related to, okay, this is how you keep your fans. Because like I said, gravity's at play. It's going to want to bring people back down the pyramid. Right. But there's some things you can do to, even on a scalable level that you can do. One of my, one of my favorite chapters is called Make Them Shine. And it's a chapter about uh, featuring your community members, the people who are in your community, featuring them to the public, to everybody. Because even though it's just a one-to-one situation in terms of who you're featuring, you're just featuring one person, but that one person represents a much larger whole of your brand. And a person who is not that person can go, oh, that person's just like me, or they were just like me. I'm just a couple steps behind them. And then they can get inspired and, and take action and transact with you too. Now, folks, we have just scratched the surface of what Pat has written about in his book. He's got bazillions of examples and actionable things that you can do if you want to move people from casual lurkers, if you will, all the way to super fans. Pat, tell everyone where they can discover, where they can find the book and and where they can discover more about you. Yeah. I mean, you can find the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. If you wanted to go direct, you can go to yoursuperfans.com. Once again, that's yoursuperfans.com. I want to help you build some amazing super fans to help support your business. And I'm just super thankful for you allowing me to share this, Mike, and and for everybody out there listening. I, I hope you take encouragement from this podcast and take some action too. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank you. Hey, just as an addendum to keep in the show, how many times did we try to do this interview? Uh, I think this is our sixth trial. (laughs) We got to tell everybody what happened. Yeah. So this was yesterday. So you're hearing this on the day that we finally got it. But yesterday, uh, when we originally scheduled this, we connected on Skype. And every time, once we started recording, Mike started to sound like a robot or we got cut off. And then we moved to another tool. We tried five times over like a 30 minute period of time. Right. And, and no matter what, I I mean, I restarted, we tried different technology every single time it didn't work. So what you're listening to right now is version number six. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it went okay. I think it went great. So once in a while, Hey, for those of you that stuck around, you guys are the super fans. You're hearing the behind the scenes stuff. So All right. Well, hey, Pat Flynn, thank you again. Tell them where they can uh, get that book. What's that URL again? It's at YourSuperFans.com. Thanks again, Pat. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's interview. If there was anything we mentioned, don't worry. We took all the notes for you. Simply visit SocialMediaExaminer.com slash 366. That'll get you everything you need from today's episode. And this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I promise. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.